Hi, it's David Paul, and this is the Hot Button number 86, Smiling Faces. Who would imagine that Carson Kressley, not Yoda, would inspire today's column? The lifestyle icon was on Celebrity Big Brother and turned on a friend because another friend he trusted, just slightly more, boldly lied to his face. From the outside, young Carson wrote, Like hashtag Julie Chen Moonvez said, I should have trusted actions over words, and I learned a valuable life lesson. Now, I won't get into whether the existence of the hashtag he cites suggests that its owner may be living the opposite, but I am a great believer in the idea, trust action over words. Things can get very dicey very quickly when this idea is angrily exchanged with someone who is smart enough to evade the basic concept. For instance, interpreting actions to match words one wants to believe rather than having a clear-eyed view of said actions. In a relationship that one partner wants too much for their own good, the old quote-unquote lie even if they catch you in a bed with another person, unquote, infidelity jokes become real when the partner being cheated on doesn't really want the relationship to end. They'll find a way to bring truth to the lie that the partner is offering, even if they see it with their own eyes, sometimes in their own bed. And don't even get me started on Donald Trump, who found that a third, full third of America wants to be lied to aggressively, so long as the massive lies complement their ongoing view of the world. Democrats don't get off in this charge either. Bill Clinton wagged his finger at all of us and said he did not have sexual relationship with that 20-something girl who performed sex acts on him in the side room of the Oval Office. And Democrats and feminists, in large, forgave him. I don't want to set up a false equivalence. Trump was far more reckless and abusive, if not fully criminal, than Bill Clinton. But that's really not my point. And again, another opportunity to avoid undeniable truths just because they are uncomfortable. As I watched the media and Wall Street and industry folks who were anything but fools flailing like poor swimmers in a riptide, trying to keep up with the weekly rounds of who is winning, who is dying discussion of the industry at the moment, I keep coming back to this basic schoolyard idea. Trust what they do, not what they say. It has led me astray a few times over the years, I must admit. Sometimes the details don't line up with the results. There are always fascinating stories behind those, usually told, to me at least, years after the fact. But really, the percentage of accuracy looking at the world this way is over 90%. The Paramount situation involves many thousands of people, dozens of divisions, and a few million tiny unknowns. A few hits used to be able to turn around a broadcast network, maybe 10 significant hits a year is all you really need to supercharge a streamer. But let's look at what Paramount has done in all of its carnations since the Redstone family took over in 1994. In that same year, Redstone's Viacom bought Blockbuster Video. <laughs> in 2000, Netflix offered to sell to Blockbuster Video, and Blockbuster passed. The next five years were pretty quiet under Don, John Dolgen and Sherry Lansing. In 1999-2000, Viacom bought CBS, which had recently reacquired NFL rights, had created their own dip, and that was now them rising, and included the syndication giant at that time, King World. In 2002, Viacom took over Infinity Radio. They were going into radio business in 2002. So what do we see in the 1994 to 2004 period, The next, that next chunk? A lot of aggression, or that chunk, and a lot of aggression, often buying into companies near the top of their games, meaning that they would soon be headed on their way down the hill. Still, the company was relatively stable, too stable for Sumner. Stock price wouldn't budge, so with the decision to split CBS and Paramount in 2004, out went Lansing and Dolgen, in came Brad Gray. Within a year of his entrance, in December 2005, Gray outsourced the film side of the company, essentially, to DreamWorks, spending $2.4 billion, including a delayed payment of $900 million for the 59-film library, on that deal. Gray failed to get DreamWorks animation under the Paramount banner. A year after DreamWorks landed at Paramount, Redstone 
dumped Tom Cruise, who was a major presence at the studio. There was a dispute over Mission Impossible 3, and with DreamWorks in place, it seemed Paramount was set with high-profile titles. And then Team DreamWorks exited Paramount almost exactly three years after its arrival, as their deal allowed, and took their brand name with them, as the deal allowed. Gray can take credit for another good news, bad news story for Paramount that created revenue in the short term, but bit them in the ass long term, Marvel. It was Merrill Lynch that actually took out primary funding lending position on Marvel to make its first films in-house. Universal failed to close a deal for distribution and marketing, and so Paramount swooped in and took it. Great. In May 2008, Iron Man arrived on the scene and outperformed all expectations. Paramount would have two of the year's top three films, 2008, domestically at least, two of the top eight worldwide. Iron Man didn't quite do as well internationally. But here was the problem. They only got 10% on Iron Man for distribution and marketing. And then the other movie that was a huge hit, Indiana Jones 3, thanks to an insane deal with Lucas, Spielberg, and Ford, they got just 12% of the gross of the after break-even, even after having advanced all the funds by itself. So they took this terrible deal and made almost nothing on Indiana Jones 3. So these two big movies made almost no money. Coming off of Iron Man, Paramount, Marvel actually reduced Paramount's cut from 10% to 8%. Then 18 months later, just 18 months later, Disney bought Marvel for $4 billion. So DreamWorks, DreamWorks Animation, Netflix, Marvel, in and out of their hands. Paramount was also the launching pad for Jason Blum's empire. They built an entire division for him and went, and what he had started with Paramount Normal Activity. And then they saw him exit stage left for Burbank. First for Warners, then for Universal. Reminds me of when Brad Gray was looking for somebody to run the studio and met with top execs from every other company, failing to land any of the choice ones, but getting almost every single one of them a massive contract, incre- massive contract increase wherever they were. That is the story of Paramount in this era. My point isn't just to make fun of Paramount, Viacom, CBS's huge, huge missteps over the 27 years the Redstones have owned the company. CBS actually did pretty well during its spun-off years under Les Moonves, which is why it was seen as so confusing when Sherry Redstone pushed so hard for Moonves not to be in charge. The sex charges, sex charges against Moonves have, will always have this chicken-egg quality in terms of when they landed and how they did, not whether they're true or not. But that's a whole book, really. Point is, there is a reason why, no matter what they talk about on an investor call, Wall Street doesn't trust the ownership and thus not the company. I haven't even gotten into the much-hated Philip DeMong who squeezed and squeezed Viacom instead of building it. Just, it's too ugly a story. It's sparkling water under the bridge. There have been great moments and great talent that have come through the Paramount machine over these last decades. I am not just Don Rickles-ing it, saying, hey, baby, you know, we love you, really. Don't take any of it seriously. Uh, there was some horrible stuff, but there were some really good people. Some of my favorite people have worked there. There have been great successes during that time. But when Bob Backish comes in, stable, not exciting, hires Jim Giannopoulos, stable, not exciting, then reemerges with CBS at the moment that he doesn't, that doesn't bring any excitement. Then jump, dumps Jim G for the kid from head from head of, head of the class whose big calling card was releasing Paw Patrol, the movie to $40 million domestic. You can insert your own level of excitement about that. Then finally gets a big break from the industry gods with Yellowstone and every single story is about how the distribution of the show is fucked up and helping Comcast, not Paramount. Who the hell thought a bunch of announcements of how great things are going and how they're about to go somewhere. And when you ask anybody outside of the business about watching Paramount Plus, you get a dead-eyed stare. How did anybody think that was going to get a big round of applause from Wall Street or anybody? It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you promise. It's what you do. Wait! 
you scream. What about Netflix? Wall Street just always believed them. Well, boys and girls, that is true. But being besides having the first mover advantage, they also had the haven't done a fucking thing for decades to compare current actions to on their side as well. There was no track record to go, oh, but they're going to do this instead of what they're saying. And to be reasonable, Netflix actually has a strong track record of delivering on their promises. Lunatics like Always Wrong Rich Greenfield have created these fantasies about a world where Netflix is only currently reaching 20% of its potential households and it's made their stock soar beyond logic. That's a whole other conversation, but you can't blame that on Netflix. Netflix is the object of obsession. So even when they lie blatantly, their partners want to believe they're telling the truth. And Paramount's the one that gets thrown out of the house naked while other stuff being thrown at them from the second story window. Also, you can't really blame the fact that Wall Street has never move stock pricing based on the success of movies or series or anything content-wise or the failure of any content really for decades. It just hasn't happened. Legacy carries a lot of baggage, and one of the pieces is this truth. Wall Street just isn't that into you. They want the shiny new object loaded to the gills with faux promise. They'd rather dream of the magic object than actu- that actually come- happens one time out of 10,000 than the stable, consistent winning object that they happily use every day of their lives. History tells us that Paramount Global will find a way to shoot, its, shoot itself in the foot. History tells us that Paramount Global would rather hide in the saloon than be on the street at high noon. History tells us that Paramount Global will get into relationships with companies of rising power and then watch somebody else harvest the sweetest part of the fruit. And history tells us this can all change quickly. That is not just optimism. This is experience. Paramount Global needs a story to tell, not the same exact story everybody else is telling. Paramount Global needs a charismatic leader, who I assume Brian Robbins was going to be, but if he is one, he better start showing himself. Jason Kylar gets more attention for his Instagram feed in a month of travel than Robbins has gotten since he took on the massive job. Paramount Global needs an actual great plan. There is nothing wrong with bringing the South Park Library back into the fold in 2025, but if that's your big story, you have no story. Sorry. Not to mention the release of the two COVID special hours from South Park were very good if you like South Park, but they were ham-fisted releases like the worst experiences of Paramount ham-fistedness. Who knows they came out or what they were about or how exciting they were. They just kind of dropped them out there like old fish. Quoting now, there are 106 miles to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. That's it, Paramount. That's how we all see you. You just left Princess Leia in the mud after she tried to kill you. Everybody's chasing you from the police to the good old boys to the Henry Gibson neo-Nazis. And if you can get to Chicago and get Steven Spielberg to open the office before they all get you, you win. And apologies to anybody who's not familiar with the Blues Brothers. This whole column has become an episode of Billions. Sorry about that. I love Billions, but not necessarily why you come here. And with that... If you go to the, the website, you'll see the, the link to the song. You can actually listen to Smiling Faces sometimes. But otherwise, until tomorrow.